Good morning, church, every one of you. We are glad for each one of you to be here, and we believe that when we come together, our hearts is strengthened and encouraged. And this is what we need to continue our run with Jesus. So today, we will see how God has his promises in our lives for us. He has our lives secured. And we are looking forward to what he has given to us, to the things that he has put in store for us, what he has guaranteed, what he has pledged to give to us. So first we will see from Malachi 3, verse 6. And it says, For I am Jehovah, I change not. Because of this, you sons of Jacob are not destroyed. So God is proclaiming who he is. His person, God says, I do not change. So we can be sure of God's loving kindness. That means God's love and his faithfulness. When he promised something to the sons of Israel, to the sons of Jacob, they can be sure that his promise will be fulfilled. You know, even now, as we see nowadays in the nation of Israel, Many of them, they still, they reject Jesus as their Messiah. So they do not accept Jesus as their Messiah. But God says, my promise will stand true. So God is speaking of a remnant. There will be a remnant from the people of Israel who will become believers in Jesus, they finally, after the seven years of tribulation, finally the remnant will say, Jesus, you are Messiah. So God's promise to his people will be fulfilled even to the end. And even when the people of Israel, they long for their Messiah to rule and reign, God will fulfill it in the 1,000 years reign of Christ. So Jesus will reign for 1,000 years from Jerusalem. So the people of Israel will see that the promise that the Messiah will rule it will be fulfilled in that 1,000 years. So God declared that God, I change not. That's why in Timothy it says, when we become unfaithful, God is still faithful. So even though we become unfaithful to his words, we become unfaithful to his commandments, God says, I cannot. I still am faithful. I cannot deny myself. 
He will be faithful to his word. And God says, not a dot will pass away from my word until everything will be fulfilled. So there is a surety, there is a guarantee in his word, in his person, in his character that God does not change. Isn't that the opposite for us, right? Just take an example, maybe in your marriage. You know, we see like people before they get married, wow, they are so in love with each other. But after they go, they enter into the marriage, things started to change year after year. And then suddenly, after many years, the ones who say, I love you, I love you, now they say, I hate you. How people can change, right? And sometimes people, when they already sign a contract, even after signing, they can change. But God says, I am not like that. I do not change. And the next one, let's read from Hebrew 6, verse 16. Until 18. It says, For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise of the, the unchangeable character of the purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. And it continues on to speak about that hope is like an anchor that's been casting into even beyond the fail. So God says when he made a covenant with Abraham and he wants to make sure that Abraham understand that his word, his promise is sure. So after he gave the promise to Abraham and then he put an oath that it will happen just as he has said. So because it says there is no one greater than God in whom usually people invoke an oath. Okay? If you don't believe me, then I swear by, by, name, 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 you know. So people invoke by somebody higher than them to swear that something is certain, something is sure. But because God, since there is no one higher than God, so he swear by himself. And it says that God, it is impossible possible for God to lie. 
And if you read also in Titus, it says, God does not lie. That's why later on it says that all liars, they cannot enter the kingdom of God because our God does not lie. So it doesn't matter it's a white lies or it's a black lies. Let's learn to be faithful. God does not lie. So it's impossible for God to lie so that we can be sure what He has promised. It will come true. Now there are many promises of God here in the Bible. And if you read, you meditate on it, and the, the promises, you take it and it becomes yours. You can be sure that His word his promise is sure. It's not like some other people or some other men who are, you know, guys or girls who just swear by themselves, okay, I promise, I promise, and then it never happened. God is not a man that he should lie. So because of that, because of the security of who God is, we can have encouragement to reach for the hope that is set before us. So today we will look at this uh, verses from Psalm 119. Psalm 119, we look from verse 121 until 125. And if you can stand up together, we can read these verses together. Psalm 119, 1 to 1 until 1 to 5. Okay, let's read it. I have done what is just and right. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Give your servant a pledge of good. Let not the insolent oppress me. My eyes long for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. Amen. Please be seated. So we will look this morning how we can have our lives secured. When God on his side, God already gave his promise. He has already given it to us. A secure promise. Now it's on our part as the receiver. How we can have that promise secured in us. How we can have our life secured in Him. And let's look one by one from this Psalm 119. In verse 121, it says, I have done what is just and right. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Give your servant a pledge. Now this word, a pledge, can be also mean surety, guarantee. 
a pledge of good. Let not the insolent oppress me. So number one, God, in order for us to ask the Lord, Lord, please secure my ways, secure my future. Number one, we need to walk right. The psalmist say to God, Lord, I have done what is just and right. You know, in this world, to find justice is difficult, right? Even in the place of a court, sometimes people cannot find justice even there. And in this world, many of Many of us, maybe, we experience what is being treated unfairly. And it's everywhere. But God is willing for us as his people that we walk right and just. You know, it's not easy to be just, right? Even to your own children. Let's take your own children. Maybe you have two or three. Trying to be fair to each one of your kids. Sometimes it's not easy either, right? So, to be just is one of God's character. God is a God of justice. Because it's God's character. To be just, we should try. We should aspire in whatever we do. Maybe it's in your family, toward your children. Maybe it's in your workplace. Maybe it's in the church. Everywhere, we should try to walk justly, to be fair. Maybe our fairness is not what people receive as fairness. But we walk before God. God is the judge. He, is, he knows your heart. He knows your intention. He knows everything. So while walking before God as a judge, you try to be fair, to be just. Start in your own family. Start with your children. Start with your spouse and yourself. And the psalmist say, I have done what is just and right. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Now this is the basis why the psalmist can cry out to God, Lord, help me. Do not leave me in this situation when I'm being oppressed. When the, 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 maybe the wealthy, the rich, the oppressor, those who are arrogant, those who are proudful, they who are boasting in their power and strength, and they oppress small people. And in our cry to God, what can we cry to God? Is that because we have walked rightly and justly. Now, walking rightly, it has to do a lot with, not with what we believe, 
only, but it's also with our action. You know, in the kingdom of God, God often talks about be dressed, having a dress, white robe, white garment. And when God spoke to the church of Laodicean, this is the church that represents the church in the end of the time. This is our time now. The Laodicean, God says, you say to yourself, you are wealthy, you are rich, you don't need anything. That's the church in Laodicea. But God said, but I tell you the truth. It's not what you see on the outside. When you see on the outside, everything was like so good, so polished. It's all well done. But in the inside, God said, I see you as blind, wretched, poor, and naked. So what is seen on the outside, sometimes it may not be true on the inside. In the inside, God sees someone who is without a dress, without a garment. And this garment that God is talking about is the garment of righteousness. We obtain the garment of righteousness when we believe with Jesus, you died on the cross, you died for my sin, forgive me Lord for my sin. So we receive God's righteousness. We were being justified just as I've never sinned before. Justified. But after we receive, when we believe in the Calvary, when we believe in the cross, after we were given his righteousness, how do we walk? Sometimes we walk again into sin. Sometimes we do things that are displeasing to God. So we spoil our garment our garment is not white anymore. It's not the garment of righteousness anymore. So walking righteously, this is what James, the book of James is talking about. It's not enough for us to confess, I have faith in God. Lord, I believe you. But he says, if you believe, the devil also believes. The devil also believe God and they shudder. They are afraid. So it says, it's not enough only believing. But you need to have work of faith. Your walk. You need to have a work of faith. How your faith is being expressed in your behavior. So your belief now becomes your behavior. So walking rightly is what will give us that security in God. That's why the psalmist can continue in 1-2-2. Give your servant a pledge of good 
Let not the insolent, let not the prideful oppress me. So now we come into the second one. If you and I want to be secure, we need to be God's servant. Let me give you an example. Someone who enlists himself in the army, giving himself as the servant of the country, giving his life even to protect the country. When the country is in a danger, a nation is in a danger, then the, the soldiers, they come forward to the battlefront to protect the country. Now those people who has given themselves to protect their nation, to protect their country, they are being, they are being uh, guaranteed by the government, right? Their life, the nation, the government will give them, you know, what they need for them to have their life. Their family, their children, it's all being taken care of because they give themselves for the nation. So the same with God's servant. The psalmist can say, Lord, give me a pledge. Give me a guarantee because I am your servant. There is something that God here because there is a relationship. So what does it mean by God's servant? Number one, a servant means there is a relationship. Give your servant a pledge of good. How can we ask the Lord to give us a pledge when we have relationship with God? When we don't have relationship, how can we get connected with God? Now, being a servant, maybe some of the servant, let's say for some of the VVIP person in the world, maybe some of their servant, you know, they cut their hair, only those people who help them to cut their hair can touch the head, right? Nobody else can touch their head. Now, if people touching someone's head will be like, oh, what are you doing? But for the people who are helping this VVIP person to have their hair done or their hair cut, you know, they have the right to do it. And even, like, just put the context in our homes. When you have a servant, a helper in the house, isn't that the one that is very close to you? Maybe they live together with you. They know your habit. They know what are the food that you like, that you always cook. They know. Even sometimes you allow your servant to go into your bedroom, right? To clean the bedroom. So they know everything there. Everything in the house they know. Because there is a relationship. When you became God's servant, when you give your life to God to serve Him, God knows He has a relationship with you. And that's why the psalmist say, 
give your servant a pledge. Even though sometimes in verse 1, 2, 3, my eyes long for your salvation, for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. It means sometimes I'm tired, Lord, looking at all my problems. It seems like I don't have any solutions. It seems like the problem is going on and on and on and on. My eyes fail, other words say, my eyes fail to see. When the situations around us, it seems like it's so bleak, it's so dark. We need to cry out to God, Lord, Lord, be my guarantee. Even though I don't see, but when I have your pledge, when I have your guarantee, when I have in this relationship with you, you know, when you are in you have a relationship. You can call that person, right? You can ask help because you have the number. You have relationship. But, but when the number is like, whose number is this? And you, you are trying to, you know, disassociate because you don't know this number. The same with us, with God. When we have that relationship, you are my servant. I am your servant. And number two, what does it mean to be a servant? That means having a teachable heart. 124, deal with your servant according to your steadfast love. Teach me. And in 125, give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. So when we say, Lord, I am your servant, that means we put ourselves under, right? When you are a servant, you are willing to be told what to do. Come on, do this and that. You know, being a servant, it's a... It's a low place. Not many people are willing to do it. But what God is talking here, God does not talk to you. Maybe you have positions. But God is talking about the heart. How is your heart? Is your heart being a servant? Being teachable? When you receive discipline from the Lord, is your heart? Okay, Lord, I am willing to learn. Please correct me, Lord, if I'm wrong. Please bring me back to the right way. Or we may have a heart that is when we receive discipline, when we receive correction, we say, why you do this to me, Lord? I've been good. I've been doing this. And then why you do this to me? Now, that kind of a heart is like not accepting correction, not accepting discipline from the Lord in our lives. You know, how does God discipline us? God doesn't come in, you know, his form and then coming to us. No, sometimes, many times, God disciplines us through circumstances, Maybe through sickness, maybe through problems, 
in all the things that happen to us, we can learn, we can ask the Lord, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? Lord, what I should learn from my problem? Why I'm sick, Lord, what do you want me to learn? So that's a teachable heart. Willing to be corrected. And that's God's servant. When we come to a place when we feel like, I don't need his correction, I don't need his help, then we are no longer a servant of God. So we need to keep this heart, this teachable heart. And the next verse, verse 125, servant means identity, right? When you are being a servant, that's your identity. In verse 125, it says, the psalmist says to the Lord, I am your servant. When you look into the book of Song of Songs, you look the progression. From the beginning, it says, my beloved is mine. You are mine, Lord. But towards the end, it says, I am my beloved's. So it's no longer you are mine, but it's giving of oneself. I am yours, Lord. So here we see to be God's servant, it's a surrendering of yourself. Surrendering of your own agenda. Surrendering of your own desires. Your own goals. Oh, I want to be like this. I want to be like that. When you say, I am your servant, that means, Lord, do with me. Do to me as you want. Not what I want. And when we are able to say, I am your servant, whatever, Lord, you tell me to do. Maybe in the eyes of the people, you know, it looks very low kind of job. But because I'm doing this for you, Lord, I am yours. It's okay. People look down on me. It's okay. People don't treat me very well. But I am yours. I do this because I am your servant. So this servanthood needs to be our identity. And when that's happened, when you become God's servant, God will guarantee you. God will secure your life. God will take care of your family. God will take care of your future. Believe it. Trust in his word. Trust in his promise. His promise never fail. His love never fail. Let me invite the musicians and the worshiper to come forward.
and let's just have our time before God. Let's just bring each one of us personally before God. Here I am to worship, Lord. I am to worship you. And I invite you to come stand up together with me as Jesus has become a servant to us. As he stepped down into darkness, he stepped down to the earth. He became a servant. He became a slave so that we might be free. So let's follow his example. We are his servant to worship you, God. Light of the world, you step down into darkness. Open my eyes, let me see.